Hello and welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast. Over the many years I've been running a business, I've met many, many successful people, entrepreneurs, sports stars, celebrities, and dare I say, even royalty. So what makes a person successful? Do we know what success is? And the all important question, can we create success for ourselves? This podcast series invites a diverse group of people to share their insights, their wisdom and the things they've learned along the way. Hello and welcome to a rather unique edition of the Sandro Forte podcast. After seven months and with more than 40 guests interviewed so far, I finally succumbed to the many emails asking me to share my life, my experiences and my thoughts on a few topics. So thank you to all of those of you who've taken the trouble to contact me. So um, in rather unusual, rather unique fashion, here goes, I guess. So uh, for those who don't know me, um, I'm 50, just about turning 51 years of age. And in the 29, nearly 30 years that I've been in business, and indeed prior to that, I've learned an awful lot. So I'd like to share a few of those thoughts with you. Uh, but also to reflect on some of the amazing messages and pearls of wisdom that we've had from the many guests along the way. I guess my life probably started in earnest when I was nine years old. That was really the earliest that I can really remember. And I remember that for a very specific reason. Probably my first recollections of life at that time were um, being in a school assembly and my my mum turning up at the back of the room and I discovered in that moment when I was pulled off the stage and into the headmistress's office that my father had passed away. Now, I had I got an inkling that my father had been ill. He kept disappearing for large periods of time. And, you know, in true mum-dad fashion, my parents had always said that uh, my dad was either working or he was, uh, I remember them saying, off to a health farm. But um, it was a very, very sad occasion, obviously. But what was very, very difficult was that my mum, who was 20 years my, you know, 21 years my father's junior, was left a widow at the age of 29, and I was the eldest child, uh, aged just nine. By the time I was 13, my mum had met a really, really lovely guy. His name was Dave, and he really stepped into my father's shoes, as it were. He gave up his full-time job to help bring up the, his adopted family, and shortly after that, a couple of years later, uh, the fifth child came along. So um, during my teenage years, we, um, we lived in a, in a council house, very basic uh, means. But it was not many years prior to that that my father, who was a very, very successful restaurateur and part of the, the famous Forte family that are synonymous with hotels, we, you know, we, were, we were living the dream, as it were. We were um, a successful family. Rather, my father was very successful. We lived in a big house. And at that time, at the age of nine, uh, me and my siblings and my mum didn't really want for anything. But several years later, uh, that had turned really upside down. And I learned a very, very important lesson, which I'll come on to share in a, in a second. But during those teenage years, one thing that I did learn, uh, despite the difficulties of our situation at that time, my mum really had been declared bankrupt within a couple of years of my father's death. She didn't know how to run the business. She had a very large family and had no experience of anything outside of bringing up a family. So it was a real kind of riches to rag story. But during my teenage years, I suppose I had been, the burden had been uh, 
I, I picked up this kind of burden, inherited this burden, if you like, that I was now the man of the house. But one of the things that that label taught me was that I developed a work ethic, which started around the age of 13, 14, shortly after Dave joined the family. And I was working a couple of hours before school. I was working two or three hours after school. And most of my summer holidays were spent working in my family restaurant business, which my auntie had now taken over. So I suppose I had always learned from a very early age to work quite hard. And that was one of life's earliest lessons. Uh, the great thing about Dave was that, um, despite the fact he was a really wonderful person, he stepped into my father's shoes, adopted all those amazing traits that parents seem to adopt when you're a young kid. And he took me through uh, my education. He got me involved in sports, in the theatre. And although when I got to 18 and set off for university, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I realized that uh, it was probably good for me to try different things to find out what I wanted to do deep down. And interestingly, that's one of the things that we've heard from a lot of the podcast guests so far. You know, try lots of different things until you find something that you're really passionate about. And at that time, I was very passionate about uh, hockey. I, I played to quite a high level. Very, very passionate about golf played for the county, but I was getting more and more involved in the theatre. So with nothing else to do, at the age of 18, I did an English and drama degree and off I went to drama school and, uh, and probably set my sights on, on becoming an actor, if I'm really honest. But I was even more honest about the fact that when I graduated, I probably wasn't going to make a terrific living as an actor. Certainly didn't fancy the idea of living in a damp, squalid bedsit in London on a hundred and odd pounds a week as it was then. Uh, it was a chance opportunity that came along a family friend um, who was working in the financial services arena offered me a job working primarily as an administrator just to help pay off my student overdraft and after about six months of that I realized that my student overdraft was growing rather than falling so it was time for a bit of a change and this particular individual my boss at the time he approached me one day and said you know I think you should perhaps consider a, a career in sales and I'd really never given that any thought whatsoever but desperate to make ends meet and I suppose with a great and you and fairly unique opportunity to make my stepfather Dave who was really the, the breadwinner he'd given up his full-time job but was working part-time and I really didn't want to see my mum go back to the same situation financially that she'd gone all those years ago when my father passed away and I really was quite determined to make my stepfather Dave my first client so with that in mind I uh, I decided to become an associate of the firm and from very very uh, small seedlings, picked up a two or three clients that my boss Tony had given me and really did all the things I didn't want to do, which was, you know, knock on doors and make cold calls and just trying to engage with people. And, and I wasn't very successful at it, if I'm really, really honest. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm fairly proud and at the same time embarrassed to say I wasn't very successful because I actually learned quite a lot during that, that lean period. And again, I'll come on to share a few of those thoughts in a moment. Um, but one of the things that I put my failure in those first couple of years down to is procrastination, an inertia, uh, an inability to turn a thought process or a promise into some kind of outcome. And I learned that I wasn't really passionate, but I wasn't really serious. And I've learned since then that if you really, really want to do something, you'll find a way to do it. If you really want to do something, you're a 10 out of 10 serious about it. You're not an eight out of 10 or a five out of 10. 
And if you're not really serious about something, then you'll find an excuse. And for the first couple of years, I was making plenty of excuses. You know, a game of golf on a Friday afternoon before I pick up the telephone uh, to, to phone a few prospective clients was not really the right way to approach things. So I got a lot of things wrong in those first few years, first couple of years, but I learned a lot along the way. And then I can't really explain why on one particular occasion towards the back end of 1991, so I've been in the business for a couple of years, that I just really turned that that continuous thought process of approaching my my stepfather, Dave. And, it, you know, it was a difficult conversation to have, but I decided that I'd pluck up the courage, can't even remember what I said, garbled something along the lines of, it would be remiss of me not to at least have a conversation with you. And much to my surprise, um, he engaged in a conversation and said, you know, it's something that your mum and I have been thinking about doing. I'm, I'm, we're obviously worried that if anything happened to me, your mum would be in the same situation again. And to my surprise, they went ahead with a, a relatively modest amount of insurance cover. And uh, th- this really isn't a story about the insurance business, because I think a lot of these things can be applied across lots of different industries and professions. But, but what I realised in that moment was that, you know, for all the excuses, for all the procrastination, it really was just about finding some courage from somewhere. And Dave became, for all intents and purposes, my very first client. Very sadly, about two and a half months after Dave became my first client, uh, Dave was just like my father all those years ago, diagnosed with cancer. Uh, and after a very short battle against a really, really terrible disease, uh, Dave also passed away. Now, despite all of the emotional difficulties for myself and my siblings and my mum, of course, um, one of the things that I was encouraged by was the fact that my my action, my ability to stop making excuses and take some positive steps towards an outcome meant that my mum would not suffer the same financial hardship that she had all those years ago. And that has really lived with me ever since. Number one, I'm very passionate about what I want to do, uh, not just historically, not just currently, but in the future as well. I'm, I'm passionate about helping people because for all of its critics, the financial services profession, if you find the right kind of advisor, you know, it, it's a profession that does literally change people's lives, uh, very much like the medical profession does and very much like teachers do. You know, we really do shape the financial futures of a lot of people. And so for that reason, I'm, I'm really, really passionate about it. My own personal story, you know, whilst not by any means unique, uh, is something that drives me every day and stops me making those excuses. Uh, so we then move a few years further forward. I realized that um, this particular guy that I was working with wasn't really approaching clients, wasn't man managing in the way that I really would like to see those things done. There wasn't a lot of honesty and integrity. And I saw a great opportunity in the, in the marketplace because I'd realized by, the, by about 1993 that it was a very transactional industry. People were selling products and they were earning large amounts of commission and, and weren't really trying to build long-term relationships with their clients, which after all, if you build a good long-term relationship commercially, that, that has to have more value for both parties. And so... Uh, after a three-year apprenticeship with an insurance company, working as a, as a branch manager, learning the kind of skills of managing people, which was a stepping stone towards running my own business, in 1996, I threw open the doors uh, of my converted garage in my very first home, having got married, having had twin children, all in the same year. And one of the things that I learned uh, with all of that going on inside a very short period of time was that 
kind of lesson number one, if you like, in life is that we can all deal with a lot more than we think we can deal with. It's just that most of us really are sat in a comfort zone. Uh, as I've already mentioned, it's easier to make excuses than it is to roll your sleeves up and get stuck in. So um, I kind of, it was a self-inflicted uh, challenges, but nevertheless, I thought, well, if I'm going to do one, I may as well do them all. Uh, and so 1996 was a watershed moment, really. One, I had to learn very fast. I had to build a, a client bank of my own, had to develop relationships. And I guess I had to find new ways of doing the things that a lot of people have been doing for many, many years, but probably weren't doing very successfully for all, all the reasons I've just mentioned. Um, and so there I am running my own business and the thing that I focused on at that time was looking at financial services at, at that moment in time, as I said, a very transactional industry, but then looking at other models in the marketplace. Uh, so in the very early days of Apple, McDonald's was an established business. Uh, they were the early seedlings of, of coffee shops like Starbucks and stuff. Um, just starting to spring up. And I looked at all of them and I thought, what is it that makes them unique? You know, you don't go to McDonald's for a good meal, but there is something unique about that particular brand that makes it so successful. And I realized that it was all about the experience that those companies were offering to their customers in whatever shape or form they took. And so I set about trying to uh, invert the, the traditional financial services model. And that was kind of another lesson I learned was solve people's problems. You know, all the great innovative ideas, all the great uh, apps and social media channels, they deal with a problem, whether it's connectivity, whether it's solving a particular problem, helping people to transition from one place to another a bit easier, whether it's to speed a process up. But I was working in an industry that really had been kind of stuck in the mud for a very, very long time. And so I set about creating my own service charter, uh, focusing very much on the, the things that came after the advice, because that wasn't really what was differentiating me. So I created, and I believe I was the first to create a guaranteed service charter in the UK. Um, and that, that led to a, a lot of referred work, whether it be through professionals, through existing clients, friends, family, and so on. The other thing that I learned, I guess my next lesson was to become as visible as possible. You know, whatever business you run, wherever you come from in life, if you are invisible, you are not going to do very well in business. So, you know, I always encourage people network as much as you can um, ask your existing clients and contacts to become advocates. If they like you, if they love you, they'll help you. But having the courage to ask people for help is not not easy. And so I encourage people to build advocates, to contribute to magazines and newspapers in the form of editorials. All editors are looking for content. Do charity work. Um, and as I said, build, build strong relationships with people, um, whomsoever they may be. And then I, I came across something called the Sigmoid Curve. Um, and if you haven't come across this before, look it up, S-I-G-M-O-I-D curve. And it's really about uh, continue, continuous innovation, continuing to reinvent yourself because most of the brands, successful brands of the past 100 years are no longer with us because they just didn't innovate. So it's not really about being the best all of the time. It's about being the best you can be in any given moment. So what is it today that you need to do to be really successful? Draw a mind map, write it down, create some goals, whatever it has to be for you to understand what your objectives are, but then constantly reassess those goals and objectives. You know, we all set New Year's resolutions. 
as many of us call them. And then by the end of the year, the little voice on our shoulder, which I always refer to, talks about, uh, you know, rather than giving you all the reasons why you didn't do it and resetting your objectives, it just kicks the can down the road by saying, oh, it's okay, there's always next year. It might say something like, well, I would have done better if, you know, my manager had been more supportive or if my family had been more supportive or if the economy hadn't been so bad or if I hadn't been ill for a couple of months. You know, they are just basic excuses, unless, of course, something really catastrophic has happened that might derail you momentarily. But but innovation is the key to longevity in business. So that was another one of the things that I learned um, in the very, I guess, the very early days of my career. and But I've kept that with me ever since, really. And every single year, I share my goals with other people, a bit like going to the gym and making yourself personally accountable to a personal trainer. It's often why most of us make more progress with a personal trainer than if we think we're just going to do it ourselves, either at a home gym or by getting ourselves up in the morning and going off to a gym. Because it isn't really the eight or 10 reps that makes the difference is the two or three that you can't really manage on your own that make the difference. And it's the same with goals. You know, if you make yourself accountable to other people, whether it's a manager, a spouse, uh, a friend, uh, or indeed your, your colleagues, you know, your staff, make yourself accountable by sharing your goals and then constantly check in to see how you're doing, whether you're above or, or below that line, and then just readjust the sales to make sure that you, you stay on track. So as I said, it's not really about being the best, it's about being the best you can be. And a lot of the talks I give really focus on being the very best version of yourself that you can possibly be, because there can only be one best. So if you set yourself the goal, and you know, a lot of people do, they want to be the best in the world. And that's and that's great for you know a unique few, but for the for the majority of us, it's just about being the very best version of ourselves that we can be. And once you get to that point, it, there might be another another level to 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 aspire to if you want to. But for most of us, we don't really get or even get to being the best version of ourselves. And I think that has to be the start point for most people. So it's about learning to work smarter rather than harder. It's about running your business or your life rather than having those things run you. And there's lots of examples I could give of uh, individuals who allow their businesses to run them. You know, I do a lot of training in uh, the world of business, whether it be financial services or packaging companies or Yahoo or Google or whoever it happens to be. One thing that is common amongst all of those businesses, whether they succeed or whether they fail in relative terms, it's just about um, most of them don't really run their businesses very effectively. Most of them don't know what their time cost is, for example. You know, if you aspire to earn £100,000 or $100,000 a year and you work an average of 220 days a year, eight hours a day, then your time cost is going to be approximately £54. I think I've worked that out in my head right, but I might be a, a mile out. But um, if you just do the simple math, 100000 divided by two, 220 divided by eight, it's going to give you an hourly cost. Now, focusing on the 100000 particularly if you're running your own business, you're self-employed, that's a big number. And if you, for whatever reason, get a little bit behind yourself, a couple of things come along and trip you up, suddenly that number becomes even bigger. Whereas if you just focus on the hourly rate, 
when someone comes along and says, I need an hour of your time, you can make a conscious commercial decision. Do I want to invest £54 or dollars into this person or this activity? If the answer is yes, and it's leading to something that has more commercial value, in other words, it's an investment, then that's great. If it's not, then learn to say no, because we wouldn't draw money out of an ATM, a cash point machine, and walk down the road scattering it or throw it into the nearest trash can or the dustbin because but that is what we do in reality with our time we don't think about it and we give it away too freely so it's about working smarter rather than harder working harder of course is a prerequisite to success i believe but then it also it's about um education it's about being better in terms of the component parts of your respective businesses. So for me, it's about being a good communicator. It's about being good on the telephone. It's about knowing how to handle people's objections because that's an inevitable part of what we do. Um, So it's about being the best version of yourself. You know, uh, Tiger Woods, Ben Hogan, Jack Nicklaus, Gary Player in the world of golf didn't all become amazing golfers, world-class golfers, because they hit a couple of balls every week. You know, they were constantly seeking to practice to better their technique. And whatever it is you do, whether it's, you know, packaging things into boxes, whether it's uh, delivering plates to a table in a restaurant or selling financial services, be really good at what you do. I'm not necessarily talking about being the most knowledgeable person, because I know plenty of well-educated failures in lots of businesses. But if you can be competent, uh, and particularly um, if you can be more competent or as competent as your competition, then no one else has an advantage. But And then you can win the day. You can create your USP by inverting a model, by looking at the things that people want but are not getting. And then also I've learned that you know there are lots of people along the way that are going to help you. The podcast guests almost to a man and woman say, surround yourself with great people. And, you know, there are many, many great people in my life, whether it's, um, whether it's my family, whether it's my friends, for you, whether it's a spouse or a sibling or kid, whatever it happens to be, there are people around you. And I'm a great believer that we should acknowledge those people. For me, some of those great people are clients. You know, they're the ones that help me to grow my business, whether it be by referral, whether it be through the business they entrust me with. So, you know, something as simple as a handwritten thank you card, something as simple as a happy birthday telephone call rather than just drop a card in the post, which you never know whether it gets there on time or not. Little, the little things that make the big difference. And I know we all run different businesses. We all come from different walks of life. But the fundamentals remain the same. And if you can acknowledge the people that have helped you on that journey, they will continue to help you do that. And I suppose leading on to that, another lesson in life was that life is very much a revolving door. So, you know, I'm very proud to say I've raised an awful lot of money uh, from charity or for charity over the years. I support currently about three different charities. I have my own charitable foundation. Uh, Part of the revenue we generate in the business goes to helping other people. Uh, I mentor a lot of other people, but then I have people who mentor me that are very kind, that keep me on track, that constantly dust me down when I hit a roadblock or have a particular challenge. Uh, I met uh, one of our podcast guests, a guy called Simon Chalk. If you haven't listened to the interview, that you, you should do. And one of the things that I learned from Simon was this thing called a random act of kindness. And, and there we were. We talk about it very briefly in the in the podcast interview. But there I was in a in a Starbucks 
drive through. I happened to have got out the car just to have a bit of a stretch. And there I was, stood in the queue, minding my own business. There was a guy in front of me being served. He ordered, I believe, a cappuccino. And then he turned to me and he said, can I buy you a drink? Now, of course, my default uh, as a human being is there's something not right here. This all seems a bit weird. And when he explained that somebody had uh, performed this random act of kindness many years prior to him, and had turned, offered him a coffee and had simply said, in exchange for my gift of this coffee, I'd like you to pass on that gift to somebody else in the future. And of course, Simon had picked it up and run with it and was doing it every time he went into a coffee shop, more or less. And I've adopted that ever since. And I've developed some extraordinary relationships. There's no there's no commercial um, link here. We're not, we're not doing it for any particular reason. It's just that, and sometimes it might be, you pick somebody further down in the queue, three, four, and you don't even let the person know that you've bought them the coffee but when they get to the uh, to the cash desk uh the the person serving the coffee if it's coffee that you happen to be buying says uh, somebody's already bought your coffee and you know just from afar just to look at the you know the expression on their face it's a bit puzzling at first but it, it brightens somebody's day and i'm a great believer that this life is a revolving door thing acknowledging others helping others I also picked up many years ago a really good bit of advice from somebody, and it's called the circle of five. Find a couple of people. I'll go back to the golfing analogy because it's a sport I know and love. Uh, so the, the sporting analogy, find a couple of people that you want to play a sport with, but make sure they're better than you. And then always find a couple of people that are not as good as you. And what happens is the two people that are better than you pull you up the metaphorical ladder of life. And the two that are below you in terms of ability, you get the opportunity to pull them up. So what happens is you are both pushing and pulling. You're bettering yourself by aspiring to be like the two above you in the pecking order, so to speak, but you're also getting satisfaction from helping two other people. And so that cycle continues over a period of time. And then of course, you may change positions in that circle. You may move on to a different circle. But that is a, a really, really good bit of advice that I picked up that I've that I've run with. Um, and I suppose the final lesson on my journey is that, um, you know, be be good, be a good human being, be honest, have integrity, do things the right way. And one thing that I've always tried to do, you, you can't in this particular this day and age, be punctual every single time. There's a, a dear friend of mine, Ron Harris, who was also a podcast guest early on in the series that he's the only person I know that never, ever turns up late. I mean, he's often two hours early, which for most of us is, is just not practical. But Ron is never, ever late. But with the exception of Ron, I do appreciate that things happen. You get stuck in traffic accidents and uh, and your car breaks down and, and family illnesses and all that. That doesn't allow you often or always to be punctual. But basic human courtesies, punk, uh, punctuality, please, thank you. I'm a bit old fashioned. I still hold the doors open for ladies and, you know, stand at the table when they leave and all those kinds of things. And that's the old fashioned beliefs of my father and my, and my uh, grandfather before him, but I, they have stood me in good stead. So I think uh, those would be my own uh, musings of life. And then in terms of reflections of the podcast, I think the summary for me would be as follows really one, try lots of different things, particularly when you're young, you know, you have the world at your feet you have nothing to lose, really. And if you wait, I mean, I was 28 by the time I got married, had kids. I look back now and still think that was too early, really. But 
uh, if I had my time again, I'd be trying loads and loads of different things. So while you've got the opportunity and while those excuses don't need to be brought into life, just try lots of different things. And you might just find, this is number two, you might just find something you absolutely love. And when it comes along, you'll know it. You'll know it. For me, those first two years in business, I didn't love it. And that's why I made excuses. But then something happened that made me love it. It was an accident. Uh, it, it just was one of those things. Door closed, another one opened. And my, my passion and joy for the business started that moment. Surround yourself with amazing people, the circle of five, staff, family, pick good staff, um, have great relationships with them, pay them well. They'll be listening to this thinking, you don't pay us well, I think I do. But treat them well. Um, communicate openly, honestly, transparently. Develop a really, really positive mindset. I wrote a book many years ago, Dare to be Different, uh, and it talks a lot about developing a positive mental attitude through a very simple technique that is goal-driven, but it's a way of drip-feeding information into your subconscious mind that has you doing things without really thinking about them. Practice, practice, practice. I'm a great believer that you can't be great at what you do unless you really do practice, not just once or twice a week, but you know, three, four, five, however many times a day. Golfers hit, you know, sometimes a thousand balls a day. Colin Montgomery, I seem to remember, uh, would have to hold a hundred consecutive putts before he went in for tea and would stay out there all night if, if needs be. So take positive action, never give up. Setbacks are inevitable. They're a way of life. But I've learned that setbacks are a way of almost resetting yourself, rebalancing yourself. They are great learning experiences. And I think it would be fair to say, and it, I, I guess it's an easy thing to say, but it's true that the setbacks are the things where wisdom happens, where those great life lessons and experiences come from. And one of the reasons why I always ask my podcast guests the same question, it's the one that I ask right at the end, you'll remember, is if you had your time again, or if you were speaking to a younger version of yourself, and if I was speaking to a younger version of myself right now, what piece of advice would you give to that person as they were going out into life for the first time, trying to pave their way? And and for me, it would just be take positive action because I'm a great believer that any step in a direction is a positive step because one of two things will happen. It will either be the epiphany, it will be that eureka moment for you, um, or it will be this isn't quite for me and then you just readjust things and you look to take a step in a different direction. But unless you're prepared to find the courage, and sometimes it does take courage, to take a step in a direction, you never move from your spot in life. And the one thing I never wanted to do was to look back with any great regret on my on my life. And whilst I've still got lots of things to fulfill, um, I've got an amazing family, great friends, a successful business, amazing network of people, many of whom are guests on this show. And, uh, and by the next time I come to speak to you, I'm sure that we'll have lots more lessons to share as well. So that was the Sandro Forte podcast, a rather unique one-off, uh, I think. I'm not sure I'm going to get talked into this again, but uh, that was the Sandro Forte podcast. Please do remember to keep subscribing, uh, share by all means, talk to as many people as you can, get them listening in. You don't have to listen every single week, of course, but just pick and choose as you like. 30 minute interviews that you can listen to in the car as you're commuting to or from work. But remember, keep those emails coming. Hello at sandrospodcast.com. And of course, you can find Sandro's podcast on all the usual channels, Sandro's podcast, that's Sandro's with an S. And remember to keep those emails and suggestions coming 
Please keep the reviews on iTunes going. That's really, really important because it tells us lots of really important stuff in terms of the guests you'd like to hear more of in the future. So until our guest, and we do have a very, very good one next week, until our next guest, it's bye for now.